All right, Salt Company. We're going to keep going in Romans, and we love the Bible at Salt Company, and I care about you knowing what the Bible says, not what I say. Uh, so if you would open your Bibles to Romans 6, that'd be awesome, or, or use it on your phone or whatever. Something that Isaac said last week uh, that, I, that I really loved is that we're, we're starting to get to the so what portion of Romans, where he's been laying out this crazy theology about who God is, and we're starting to get to the, okay, what does that actually mean for your life? And, and so what I want to talk about tonight and what Romans 6 is about is all this stuff that we've learned about God, how do we take that and use it to actually follow him? And here's the deal. We have said some straight up crazy stuff in Romans. Like this book, okay, if someone who did not grow up as a Christian walked into this room and heard us teach Romans, they would think we're insane. Okay, so, so this, this is some of the stuff that we've said that, that the book of Romans says. That this is God's great plan for the world, is that we stand before him, the eternal judge condemned, and his big plan for the world is that he's going to get up off the judgment seat, he's going to walk over to you, he's going to take off your handcuffs, he's going to put them on himself, and then he's going to walk out and take your punishment for you, and in the process, he's going to toss you the keys to his house, his car, and everything that he has, and you now have everything that Jesus has. We, we've said that any person can come into the people of God, that it's literally impossible for you to sin enough to disqualify yourself from the people of God, that the only qualification that you have to meet is that you want to come in, that you just have faith. We, we talked about last week, Romans 5, that because of who Jesus is, that you can, have, you can have peace, you can have joy through anything that happens in your life. Like, this is crazy stuff. Okay, a couple weeks ago, I told you this, and, it, and I told you at the moment that it freaked me out saying it, but I still think it's true. Look, if you're in Christ, this is how crazy God's grace is. You could leave here, you could go get hammered, you could sleep around with whoever you want, and it would not change your standing before Jesus. Your sin is irrelevant to your standing before him. It's like this stuff is crazy. And so if you've been listening at some point, this question probably, I don't know if it should have, but it, it probably did pop into your head. Okay, so we can't be separated from God. So can I just do whatever I want? Like, can we just forget Salt Company and like, let's hit the town. Let's go. Let's have some fun, right? And, and the Romans were asking that exact question. So this is that question from Romans 6. This is what Romans 6 is about. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, they're like, all right, Paul, I'll take you at your logic. The more I sin, the more grace God gives me, then I'm going to sin a bunch because then I'm going to get a lot of grace and that'll be awesome, right? Well, listen in verse 2. By no means. Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So here's the point of, of Romans 6, is that the grace of Jesus Christ doesn't cause you to sin or allow you to sin. It's actually the opposite. His grace causes obedience because you're now his and you're under his authority. So Salt Company, what's going on here is exciting. Like genuinely, I... I just can't wait to get to Thursday so that I can see you guys. And, and here's what's going on. Second semester, honestly, at Salt Company is usually kind of trying to coast and like maintain the momentum that we built first semester. 
this thing has been growing. Like we've added connection groups. There's more people showing up. There's new people coming. There's all this cool stuff happening and, and you guys are starting to commit. You're starting to commit to community and you're invested in community and you're hyped about Jesus and you're passionate about him. But let me ask you this. Do you care that much about holiness? Are you committed to actually living the type of life that Jesus has asked you to live? Because look, we can put on a show, we can show up every week, but if we're not actually changing, if we don't actually look more like Jesus, then what are we doing? Because that is what this thing's about. So, so here's the deal. I want tonight to be a little bit of a decision point for you. And I think this phase in your life in general is kind of a decision point where you gotta figure out who you're gonna be in the way that you're gonna live and here's the deal, you can't follow Jesus and live however you want. And so you gotta decide if Jesus is worth it to you. And, and some of you are kind of on the middle ground, right? Like you're, you're showing up and, and you're sort of in, but you're also kind of half out. And I just want you to know that there's no half in or half out. Like if, if you're half in and half out, you're just out. To know Jesus, to really understand his grace is to write a blank check on your life to hand it to him and say, you can do whatever you want with me. You're now Lord of my life, not me. So here's where we're going tonight. What, I, I wanna first show you the reason why we tend to ask this question. Like, hey, if, if there's grace, can I just do whatever I want? It's because we're slaves to sin. But... That doesn't have to be who we are anymore because we can be unified with Christ. We were slaves to sin. Now we can be unified to Christ. And if we're unified to Christ, who you are can change what you do. So that's where we're going tonight. So first, slaves to sin. So I want you to, to realize that when you're at like that decision point of sin, okay, so, so you know what I'm talking about? For, for the majority of you, you don't sin because you don't have enough information. You know what's right or wrong, but you know when you get in that moment where you're like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I really want to, and it seems kind of fun. And, and you come to this decision where you're going to decide if you're going to listen to Jesus or if you're going to do your own thing, right? So, so it's Friday night, and everybody else is going out. They're going to go to a party, and it's decision time for you, and you know that the Bible talks about underage drinking and getting drunk and that that's not a, a way to represent Christ. And if you didn't know that, now you do. Sorry if I just ruined your weekends. Um, but you know what's true, right? But there's this, there's this battle going on, you, going on inside of you. And I want you to see that it's not just a decision about what you're gonna do with your Friday night, but it's a power struggle for who ultimately is the authority in your life. And, and here's, here's what I want you to see is that when you talk about who the authority in your life is, if it's you or God, it doesn't really matter what you say, it matters what you do. And when you choose to go against what God would have for you, I want you to see what that means, like what's actually going on behind the scenes. So, so look at Romans 6, verse 15 and 16. Romans 6, verse 15 and 16. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the, the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, 
either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So here's your choice that you have. You have a choice to either obey God or to sin. And here's what what this is saying, is that whatever you obey becomes your master. It begins to control you. So that's what's happening on the Friday night, is you have a decision, not just what you're going to do with your night, but who's going to rule and control your life. You're deciding who your master is that you serve. And, and, and look, guys, the idea that you have control over your own life is an illusion. It, it's not a question of if you're going to be mastered by something, but just what or who your master is going to be. So let me give you an example, right? So the, the, the partying and some of the other sins, right? Those are sometimes kind of the Christian go-tos. But I, I want to talk about not just what's on the outside, but actually what's going on in your heart, right? Like, like your behaviors, you can just sort of conform, but what about pride? How are you gonna just decide to stop being proud, right? There's something actually else happening inside of you internally about who's controlling you, who your master is. Or how about this, achievement? So a lot of you present yourselves as slaves to whatever your definition of success is. Work, school, whatever it is, right? So, so to be a little nervous about a test coming up, that's normal, but you're kind of like panicky, freak out things that happen, the, the, the sleepless nights, the all-nighters, that's because achievement owns you. Like, like how often does somebody ask you the question, hey, how are you? And you respond with, oh my gosh, I had three tests this week, my life is the worst, everything's crumbling. Like every time... <laughs> Because I talk to you guys, I know. Here's what's happening is, is that definition of success has started to define your life. And, it's, and why are you working so hard? Is it because you're driven or because you're a hard worker? No, it's because you're a slave. And when you present yourself to achievement or to sex or to pride, or to gossip, or to body image, or to relationships, or to greed, you have chosen your master, and now you can't stop. You have to serve it. And I want to show you what the payment that you get in return for that slavery is. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're a slave of the one whom you obey, of sin which leads to death. So your payment for your master of sin, the wages that you earn, is death. Sin feels great in the moment, but it's like drinking poison. It's gonna kill you. Luckily, there's another option. Hopefully we have a better option than that, right? So let me lay out the second option for what can own you, what can control you. This is the second idea, unity with Christ. Look at verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be 
enslaved to sin. So to become united with Jesus is to become united with his death and resurrection, right? Which seems weird, but what that means is you're saying, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I have faith in you. And that death that you died for my sins, I want that credited to my account and your resurrection. I want to raise with you to live a different sort of life. And and look back at verse six. It says, we know that the old self, the old self, I love that. You know what that's saying? That the you that was enslaved to sin that couldn't stop sinning, that's the old you. It's not who you are anymore. That that old you, that all you could do is sin, it was crucified on the cross with Jesus. It's as dead as he was. And then his resurrection shows you that you can have a new master now. So you you guys remember the Emancipation Proclamation say that five times fast. I just realized as I said that, Emancipation Proclamation, that's kind of fun. You guys remember the Emancipation Proclamation? It was when Abraham Lincoln declared that all of the slaves in the United States were set free. And and this is what he said. This this is a powerful sentence, and it's it's kind of old-timey English, but I like it. This was the Emancipation Proclamation that he read. That on the first day of January... In the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves shall be forever free. For us, those are just words, right? But can you imagine what that was like for slaves? Can you imagine what that was like for the adult children that have grown up in slavery, that all they had ever known was abuse and someone else owning them or claiming to own them. For them, that would have changed everything, every single component of their life. Can you imagine what that was like for the first time in their life to hear those words, you are now free, nobody owns you. Jesus' resurrection was your emancipation proclamation. This is what Jesus did, is he fought your enemy, sin and death and everything that's wrong with this world, and then he got up out of the grave and he proclaimed freedom to the world. And he said, you know what? You have been enslaved your entire life to living contrary to the nature of God, but now you can be free. You're free. You don't have to live under that old slave master anymore. And some of you, you you feel like you can't change and you've convinced yourself that you're no good, that you're worthless, that you can't really change, that you can't really be as good of a Christian as someone else. Bullcrap. I don't know if I should say that in sermons, but I just did. Bullcrap. Like, it's not true. The resurrected king of the universe, he lives inside of you like the... The power that got Jesus out of the grave is in you, helping you to not sin. You can change, period. Because that's what Jesus does to people. But here's the deal. Here's why that's hard for us to remember. So so think back to the Emancipation Proclamation. So they're, they're set free legally, and then it actually comes true as the North wins the war. Right, but, but this, this would have happened. I can't imagine how nuts this would have been. Freedmen and women would have been walking the streets of their town 
as free people. And somewhere in town, they would have came across their old slave master. They would have been walking down the same street. And you have to imagine that somewhere along the line, that old slave master would have come up and would have started degrading them and making demands of them and trying to get them to go back to work. But you know what that slave, the the former slave can do now is they can look their old master in the eye and they can say, you don't have any power over me anymore. No, I'm not listening to you because I'm free. But here's the deal. In order to do that, they would have had to remember who they are. Right? It would have been tempting to just kind of go back to their old way of life, but they would have had to assert their new identity. And, and here's, here's what's true of your life, is if you're in Christ, you've been set free. Sin doesn't have any legal ground on you anymore, but here's the deal. You're going to wake up every day, and that old slave master is going to be yelling at your ear, telling you that you have to listen, that you have to obey, that you have to be the person that you used to be, and you have to make a decision whether you're going to go back to your old life or whether you're going to say, no, you don't own me anymore. And here's what I want you to see is that the way that you fight sin, the way that you say no to sin, is not by some sort of fancy new trick or all of these ways that you can work harder to try and defeat sin. The way that you fight sin is remembering who you already are. It's claiming the identity that Jesus has already given you. And who are you? Verse 14 For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You are a child of grace. So why why does that mean that you don't have to sin anymore? So I was was thinking about this, and I was was trying to come up with with something to kind of illustrate it or whatever. And I inevitably, I, I, I thought back to this. So I thought back to the first time that I met Jessamy, my wife. So it was our freshman year of college. We were at a salt company retreat and we were about to do like the, the games section. You know what I'm talking about? And, and there's, there's a few people in the game sections. There's the people that just like sit on the side and like hate it. And then there's the people that just go hard. And, and here's what happened is I, I walked around this corner and I saw Jessamy for the first time and she knew that the games were coming and she was rocking eye black. And I thought that was sporty and awesome. And like, you're the type of person that just goes for it. I love this. So I snuck into her small group to make sure I could hang out with her for the rest of the day. And so I kind of weaseled my way into that, into that small group and kind of played it off cool, you know. And so I hung out with her for the day. And then two weeks later, I told a buddy that I was going to marry her. A little premature. Wouldn't recommend it. Just, okay, guys, don't, don't just go make statements about who you're going to marry but it happened to work out for me. Um, but here's the deal. I just, I just knew, like the more I got to, to know her, the more I saw her relationship with Jesus, as much as you can in two weeks, I guess, the more I was just like, like, yep, this is the girl I'm marrying her. Here's the problem. She didn't know that yet. I knew we were going to get married. She didn't. Um, and, and here's what happened as I heard those words, those fateful words, Hey, Jordan. I think we should just be friends. 
I got friend zoned. And here's the deal. Once you're in the friend zone, there's no getting out of the friend zone. But I was going to try, dang it. So I had strategy meetings with my buddy where we were going to figure out how I was going to bust out of the friend zone. And so we created ways to make it happen. So I used to like walk her home at three in the afternoon to make sure that she was safe. And... You know, we'd, we'd try and create these ways to impress her. We started playing volleyball, so I decided to get really good at volleyball because for some reason dudes always think that if you're good at sports, girls like that. I don't think that's actually true, but, you know, I tried it, and nothing was working. And so I about had given up, but then we had a summer, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go for it. But then when I got back, I got, like a, I got a little nervous, and I was debating, and then my best friend, Scott, my best friend Scott came up to me and said, Jordan, if you're not going to ask her out, then I am. Yeah. And Scott asked her out, and she said yes. And then I was giving relationship advice to Scott and to Jessamy, and my soul died. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the end of the story is that it didn't work out between Scott and Jessamy, and I had about given up at this point, and I thought it was never going to happen, but then... On this one day, Jessamy walked up to me and she was holding in her hands a peach pie. She knew the way to my heart. And she handed me that peach pie and I immediately knew. But then, but then you know, it had been a while and I had had a lot of heartbreak, so I was trying to guard my heart. And so I took my peach pie and I ran back to my roommates. I was like, Jessamy, give me a peach pie. What does it mean? And they were like, oh yeah, dude, she wants to date. And so I asked her out. We dated for six months. We got married six months later. The rest is history. Yeah, 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 thanks. It was amazing. She's the best. So all of that, I got, I got a little bit into the story, and I talked for a long time, and it's not even all that connected. But, but all of that is I look back on that period in my life, right, and I had this sort of like seemingly extravagant love but now that we're married and we've made promises to each other, what I figured out is I actually didn't love her back then. I've learned to love her now. And, and here's what my love for her, what my quote unquote love for her was like back then. You know who that was all about? It wasn't about her. It was about me. I wanted what I wanted even though she didn't want that. And so I spent my life trying to impress her and turns out that doesn't actually work super well. And, and here's why not being under the law but being under grace can free you up to actually live a different life. Because if you're under the law, you're essentially just trying to please God. But you know who that's all about? It's all about you. It's not about him. It looks like it's about him, but actually you're just trying to be impressive so that he'll love you. But this is what happens. God comes along and he says, I love you regardless. And that's what Jessamy did for me is we've made these vows that we're never going to leave each other no matter what. And so when I walk home tonight, there's dishes in the sink right now, and I'm going to do those dishes, and I hate that. But here's why I'm going to do the dishes. Is it because I'm afraid that she's going to leave me if I don't do the dishes? No. I'm going to do the dishes because I love her and because she loves me. It's actually because of the promise that she's made to me that fuels my love towards her. And if I was constantly insecure about her leaving me, my relationship with her would be about me, not about her. And it's the same way with Jesus, is when you figure out the promises that he makes to you, 
you live out of the overflow of grace where you respond to him and you serve him and you follow him instead of sin, not because you should or because you have to or because you're trying to impress him, but because you love him and he loves you and that's what love looks like. So we serve God and not sin by remembering who we are, remembering that we're under grace. So... How do we do that? Okay, let me, let me give you some ways, and these definitely aren't all the ways, but let me give you some ways that you can remember who you are in Christ and run from sin as a result. First one, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Start talking to yourself like a crazy person. Number two, you need to learn to enjoy God in his word. And number three, you need to confess sin in real community. So stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Here's this weird thing that human beings do is we feel things and we think things and we automatically assume that those are right. Why? Why do you assume that you're right and what you think and what you feel? Guys, the majority of the things that I think and feel are not true. Here's what's true is every day you will wake up and you will feel and think things that are lies. And you need to learn, instead of listening to all of those things that are in your head, to actually speak truth, speak the gospel of grace back to them. So start asking the question, is that true? When you feel condemned, is that true? When you feel like you have to compare yourself to other people, is that true? When you feel proud, like you're worth something, like you're significant and important, ask yourself, is that true? The answer to all of those is no. It, it, it's not true. So let me, let me tell you what this has looked like in my life recently. So I have these stretches where I, I, I just get in like funks. I don't, I don't know how to describe them, but I like, I just struggle. So I've, I've in the past like dealt with some depression and I don't know how much of this is like biological or how much of this is spiritual or whatever. But last weekend I had a lot of time to think about my life and that is not good for me. I just get to weird places and I got into like a funk and I, it turned into sin. I, I got selfish. I got frustrated. Um, I didn't want to talk to Jesus. So I just kind of avoided him for a couple days. And then we had a, a staff day away, which is just where our staff kind of gets away. And we just read our Bibles and then talk about it. And Kaylee and Hannah and Isaac were over. And honestly, during that time that I was supposed to be spending with Jesus, I was just distracted and kind of flipping around on my phone and I told them, I, I told them like, hey, this is what's going on. And they started speaking truth to me. Now, admittedly, it was cheesy, Kaylee. It was a little cheesy. So this is what they did, but it was great. It was great. They, they were like the Jordan that I know. And then they like inserted that with things that are true about me. And, and here's what that did for me. It like sparked something in me and it made me realize that I had just forgotten who I was in Christ. And I was feeling depressed because I forgot about his love for me and they helped me remember that. And I started like fighting again and, 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 and thinking about everything that Jesus had done for me and it kind of snapped me out of it. Here's the deal. You need to learn to do that for yourself and you need to have people in your life that will do that for you. Every single day is a new day that you need to preach the gospel to yourself. And you gotta figure out how the gospel applies to insecurity, how, how it applies to your desire to sin, how it applies to your loneliness and your fears. The gospel is the solution to all of those things. And you gotta figure out how to preach it to yourself. But 
But here's the thing. If you're going to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself and speak truth to yourself, you have to actually know truth. Part, part of the deal. Okay, so that's our second one. You need to learn how to enjoy God through his word. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we're not good at being in the Bible. I think one of the main ones is because you just, you don't know how to enjoy it and so you don't want to do it. Like, you, like it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a reading assignment that you get in junior high. Like nobody wants to read books in junior high. And, but the teachers tell you to read books and it's like you have to fill out this report about it and that's what you feel like the Bible is. So one summer I, I took a trip to, to Turkey with a group of people and it was great, but I'm a small town kid and I was in a city of 20 million people where no one spoke English and cars were honking everywhere and it was just... It was nuts, and there was like the, the day that we were jet lagging, we woke up to construction literally outside of our window. One of my, the people that was with me just decided that she didn't like me halfway through the trip, and it just, stuff was just getting real, and I was frustrated and annoyed, and then we took this camping trip kind of out near the Black Sea, and we got there late, and, and so we set up our tent, and then at midnight, we were about to go to sleep, and we decided, you know what? Instead, we're going to go out to the Black Sea. And so it was about a quarter of a mile away and we started walking and we couldn't see it but there was, because there was this bluff kind of surrounding the Black Sea. And so we climbed up this path, up this bluff and it started out kind of at a normal angle but then it got steep and so towards the top we were almost like climbing and I get to the top of this bluff and I look out and I just saw it. It was just the, the Black Sea and there was nobody. I couldn't see another human being. I couldn't hear anything. And it was a gorgeous night. There was no wind. The water was like glass and it was like 75 degrees and there was a full moon. And I just ran down that bluff and I ran straight into the Black Sea and the moon's reflection of the full moon was like right up near the shore. And so I waded out and stood in the reflection of the moon and looked at the stars. And you know what I wasn't thinking about at that point? Any of that other crap in my life. Because I was caught up in that moment, in the beauty of what I was seeing, right? That's what spending time with Jesus can be like. As you can go to him and you can get wrapped up in his beauty and the significance of what he's done for you and everything else in your life can just kind of fall away for a minute and you can just see him. The point of reading the Bible isn't to get it done. It's to meet with Jesus and to remember who you are in him. But you know what happened? I, I left the Black Sea. I went back to the to the city and the noises and the horns, and I kind of forgot all about it. And that's going to happen to you too. You're going to spend time with Jesus. And by the way, you're not always going to have this like amazing, climactic, like beautiful experience when you spend time with Jesus. You got to get through the really rough times to have those experiences. But here's the deal. You need to go back to meet with him every day to continue to remember who you are. You got to go back to the sea is you're going to forget what it's like until you get back there and you look back up at those stars. You got to get back to spending time with Jesus every day to remember who you are. Then the last way to remember who you are, confess sin. Confess sin to God, but confess sin to people in your life. 
And here's the deal. Confessing sin isn't just some like religious thing that you do. The reason you confess sin is because it's you saying, this is what I did, but it's not who I am. This is who I just acted like, but it's not who I want to be. And so I'm going to own it to you and I'm going to say, that sin doesn't define me anymore. And then the people in your life are going to say that same thing to you. Confess sin to each other. And, and like, can you just stop confessing just surface sins? Like, if you're just confessing the same kind of general surfacey thing every week, can you actually just try and trust somebody and open up and see what God does with it? And you need to confess it in real community. So not just friends. Your community needs to be your friends, but they need to be more than your friends. They need to be willing to say things that are hard to you and actually encourage you to turn away from sin and to turn towards Jesus. They need to be people that push you towards him. So there's this story in the Bible about this guy named Joseph. And there's this weird little, little story where it says that, that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Just apparently a, just a good-looking dude. And there's this, in his master's wife is just, she, she likes him. She's attracted to him, and she's trying to get him to sleep with her, okay? And this just, things just escalate, and eventually she runs up to him, and she, like, grabs his, like, robe thing or whatever, and is trying to get him to sleep with her. And this is what the dude does. He just throws off the robe, and he runs out of the house butt naked. Actual story in the Bible. The Bible's interesting. Read it. There's some weird stuff in there. Okay, so he encountered temptation, Right? And I know you guys encounter temptation. There's some good-looking dudes in this room, but my guess is none of you have experienced that. And even if you have, you still can run. Okay, but, but, but here's the deal, and, and this is for all of you, but specifically I want to talk to the guys. I, I want you to be men like that. That when you're tempted, when, even when you're in the situation where it would be so easy to get, in, to get into sin, that you would run that you would take off because you love Jesus more than you love sin. I want you to be men that respect the women in this room, that care for them instead of use them. That can be true of you. And my guess is when you hear that story, there's a couple responses. The first one is, dude, I don't, I don't want to be that type of guy. Like, I just want to sleep around. And, and here's the deal. You probably aren't a Christian. I'm not saying if you struggle with sin, but I'm saying if you don't care about sin and you would rather sin than follow Jesus, and you probably don't know him. You don't get grace yet. It's good that you're here. Keep coming. But I want you to know that you don't get it. But there's also a second response, and it's this. I want to be like that, but I don't feel like I can. Like, I just can't stop sinning. And I want you to know, like, like stick with it. Growing in Christianity, growing in your faith, is a lot like growing as a human being. Like, human beings, when they're babies, they can't do a thing. And then, and then they get like to a year old and they start trying to walk and they take like three steps and they fall. Do you walk at a year old? Is that right? Or is it older than that? Anyway, they get to wherever you can walk and they, they take like three steps and they fall. But look, no dad looks at their kid and is like, come on, kid, get it together. Like dads are patient with their kids. And so when you're stumbling, when you're falling, God is patient with you. And you'll get through that stage and then you'll become like a junior higher. And you can, you can do some more stuff, but you're like awkward and stinky. And, and like, it's fine. God loves you. Keep going. Stick with it. Keep fighting your sin. Let 
look, this is, the, this is the key to the gospel. I want you to hear this. True freedom is not about getting to do whatever you want. True freedom is getting to do what he wants you to do. And that freedom leads to eternal life. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Is you're, you're gonna do what you wanna do. Everybody just does what they wanna do. And you need to learn to want Jesus more than you want sin, and you'll grow. So I want to end on one of my, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes that talks about this. So C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Guys, don't settle for a lame life of sin. Remember who you are. A life of infinite joy is waiting. Let me pray. Jesus, I want that to be true of us and of me so badly. And Lord, I, I mean, I, I feel like even as I'm talking about that, I feel my hypocrisy in that. Like, I don't know how to do all the stuff that I'm talking about, but thanks for being patient with me as I try and grow. And you're gonna be patient with us, Jesus. And we praise you for that but in your patience and in your grace, would you make us holy? Would you make us believe that following you is better than sinning? And would you help us this week to tangibly walk away from sin and walk towards you? Help us to care more about what you think of us than about anything else. We love you, amen.